0: Uh, I think I would have self-shamed less if I had been a blubbering mess. Like it was, I think that there's culturally it would have been more appropriate if I'd just been crying all the time um, because that's kind of what chicks do. Yeah. So, being angry was—I was dealing with a lot of conflicting feelings around that because it was kind of not socially appropriate for for a female to be, you know, so furious. We kind of associate that uh, aggression and all of that with men. Um, so, I think that anger is definitely related to the PTSD.
1: Hello, and welcome to Beyond Diagnosis, a podcast to raise your awareness, decisions, and voice. For alternative practices, so you can take back control of your health. I'm Rita DiMichel, your host, a mindset and empowerment coach, and the founder of the ONUS platform. Join me each week so you can create the health of your dreams. I know you have a personal story to share. And before we talk about that, I'd like to know a little bit more about what you do, why, and how you help people move forward in life. Welcome to the show, Lisa.
0: Thanks, Rita, for having me on. Uh, it's lovely to be back, podcast guest, after a bit of a break. Um, yeah, so let's jump right in. What do yeah, I do? Please. How do? I help people? Um, I, I mean, look, I've been in business for myself um, for coming on eight or around about eight, eight to nine years, and over that time, things have evolved. Um, yeah, they have as as you know, we should, right? we're all we're all supposed to evolve and grow and change. Um, so in terms of what I do, I now speak about being a rock star strategist. And for me, what that means is that I've realized my superpower in my strange little brain is I tend to see the world from a different perspective. I tend to see, problems, issues, challenges from a different perspective to a lot of people. Um, And I think I probably self-identified for most of my 43 years as a weirdo because of that. And it's only, you know, the last couple of years that I've realised this is an advantage. This is something that's actually really cool that people can come to me with an issue Mm or a problem or a challenge and my funny little brain likes to turn it, you know, upside down and sideways and what if we look at it from that angle? And so that's what I mean by a strategist is because um, it's, it's a bit more about like pulling apart a problem, looking at all the pieces and then putting back together yeah. into a picture that um, suits the client better, right? So whether that's in uh, their business or in their life, basically people come to me when they think, Usually this is what I get. God, Lisa, I'm tearing my hair out. I've looked at this every which way and I can't figure it out. Here's the problem. And they present the problem and they think that they've looked at it from every angle. But like all of us, we can only see things from our own perspective, our own points of view, our own exactly. life.
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: Um, and so I will ask great questions and pull the topic or the issue apart and look at it from different angles and ask questions about uh, whatever it is from those different angles. And what I find happens is that I get the response of, oh, I never thought about it like that. I've never looked at it from that angle. I never considered it from that point of view. And when we do that, when my clients get the opportunity to see the issue uh, or the challenge from a different perspective, a whole department in their brain opens a bit up like that, yeah. And they have new solutions that they never considered because they weren't looking at the problem that way. Um, so, do so- you feel that
1: you that
0: then you open
1: open them up to a whole lot of other possibilities? So, actually, what you're doing is exposing them to possibilities that they didn't even know existed or they cuz you know we all sort of view life in a bit of a tunnel don't we until we shine our light a lot further yeah. light brighter you know and we get
0: used to the way that our world works right yeah, our world a level of comfort and familiarity in that and unless we're really challenged or pushed towards uh, the edges of that you know whether you go and do that deliberately and go and walk on hot coals at Tony Robbins or something like that and push yourself out of uh, out of your comfort zone Normal environment, yeah, totally. Yeah. Or there is a life instance, whether it's a, um, you know, relationship breakdown or a, a job ending or whatever it is, that also is going to push you beyond that zone of familiarity. Um, I tend to not call it the comfort zone because people will stay there even if they're uncomfortable. So I tend to refer to it as the familiar zone. Um, Mm, That's a good way to put it, yeah. it's It's very powerful to stay there because it's familiar and it feels safe, even if a lot of the times it is uncomfortable or there's things happening that you don't particularly like it's we fall into that kind of better the devil you know sort of situation where like well yeah my relationship's not great but at least I know how to handle the other person whereas if I leave there's a whole bunch of, unknowns of unknown unknowns more terrifying would so we-
1: you say Lisa sorry to cut you off well wouldn't you say that you know we both know that the subconscious mind dictates everything you know so that's sub that subconscious mind of keeping us safe, keeping us with, with within our boundaries, keeping us within what we know is what's stopping them from getting out of that familiarity zone, as you call it, you know, to that scary unknown because that's the whole thing, isn't it? We always perceive it as scary, but it's not necessarily scary. It's just the unknown.
0: Unknown, yeah, unfamiliar, 100%. I think hmm. that it's important to acknowledge that, human beings are deeply, deeply wired for safety um, yeah. in our DNA. We know what...
1: Evolutionary.
0: You know, f- berries we shouldn't eat because they <laughs> might kill us. You know, like go it goes way, way back. We don't want to risk upsetting the tribe because being in the tribe and the village keeps us safe rather than if we're on our own. So there's a lot of behaviours, uh, you know, into 2023. I mean, you know, you couldn't... It is obviously the furthest we've been since cavemen and running from saber tooth tigers. And but the programming, the base operating system programming is still there, is not that dissimilar. Mm. Um, except now our challenges are, um, what uh, if you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs? If you're not, Google it, people. Um, you know, it, it's it's that safety, it's that bottom rung of you know, fi- oh, am I financially safe? Is my housing stable? Do I have enough food on the on the plate? Um, you know, there's a level of safety and stability that drives us. But we're not running from tigers anymore. We we want to make sure that we keep our jobs. So sometimes we keep quiet in a shit situation at work because it's important to keep the job or relationships or housing situations. Or
1: friendships or anything, anything really, <laughs> isn't Or even like this show really does focus on health. Yeah. So I find that a lot of people won't go outside of their what you call familiarity zone or their comfort zone, to seek out those different options, especially when it comes to a functional, integrative, alternative, that may give them an answer to what they're seeking because of that fear, because of the unknown, because we're so wired for that safety and we've been told that, you know, there's only one stream in the medical system that you should actually be working with you know that's the whole essence of this show is trying to open up like from people like you who obviously work with people's mindset in mm. trying to open them up to try something new
0: yeah yeah i'm all about mindset and emotional well-being mm, yeah, and, like, yeah 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 and physical well-being um i think it's really interesting to reflect on the culture with which you've grown up in so Uh, I personally grew up in a very Western medical model type household. My father is a doctor. My uncle was a doctor. My mum was in the medical field. I was an ambulance paramedic. It was very much in that uh, Western medical model, you know, that was the environment grew up in, whereas people that grow up, I think, with a bit more exposure to things like traditional cultures, whether it's Ayurvedic um, culture from an Indian background or people that grow up with, you know, their grandparents m- making things because they fam- they have a culture of um, traditional Chinese medicine, I think depending on what you're exposed to um, determines what's what comes within the boundaries of that familiar zone. Um, so for, for people like you and I, that grew up very Western in yes. you're sick, you go to the doctor. If you need to talk to someone, you see a psychologist, um, you know, these are the, these are the options. That's it. Um, then for us, functional medicine, integrative medicine, Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, uh, all these other, you know, uh, options are ve- lay very much outside that familiar zone for sure.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely they do. And one of the things I find, and I don't know if you find it in your work as well, is the fear around people using these other options because they always rely back on the it's not proven, it's not scientific, it's not. But, you know, if it's been going for thousands of years in these cultures, you know, for me, that is proven, You know, like they've gone through all the testing. (laughs) Unfortunately, their testing was like maybe people dying, but, you know, (laughs) they've gone through a lot and, you know, they've shown that it works. So, yeah, for me it's very much about wanting people to see what else is available to them and just not accept. Don't just accept what you're being given. Don't just accept that you may have a diagnosis or you may have a condition and you're given this or that and that's it, mm. or uh, there may not be an answer, and you get the old just live with it. You know.
0: Yeah, I heard a quote years ago. I'm pretty sure it was Deepak Chopra, and he was he. What he said was, "You can." So he's a medical doctor, but he's obviously got a very um spiritual aspect to. to yeah, he's about. amazing. Um, and he said, "You can accept the diagnosis." without accepting the prognosis. And so the diagnosis is here's what's wrong with you. This is what you tick the box for. This is what your tests show. And the prognosis in in medical terms is this is how it's going to be now from here on out. And so I think it's really, that really hit home for me that it's okay to go, okay, cool. So I've got X condition or, you know, whatever it is, this diagnosis but I'm going to question the authority of the prognosis. So I can accept, you know, at the time um, back in, in 2013, 2014, I was diagnosed with PTSD, anxiety, depression, and I accepted the prognosis um, at I- immediately, which was, uh, you know, well, this is it, this is you now. Uh, I was 32, 34. Or let me think, 34, yeah. um, and was basically told, this is it. Um, the best you can do is take your medication. hope we get the medication balance right and it doesn't, you know, the side effects yeah. don't too much. And uh, try and avoid your triggers and live the best life you can. Uh, at 34, at the time I had a 2-year-old, a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old, um, and I accepted it. And I went, okay, well, if that's, you know, that's the deal. And I sat on the couch for about three and a half months trying to be that person. Okay, well, this is me now. I'll just sit here and watch Netflix. And um, I have referred to that period as uh, I was really like a shell of Lisa (laughs) You know, yes, um, like, yes. you know, those cicada shells after the insect has left away <laughs> and it looks like a cicada. But if you, you know, you grab it and crush it, it's hollow. So I certainly looked like Lisa on the couch or I looked like mum on the couch. Um, but I really wasn't there. I wasn't present. I wasn't engaging with my family. I was a, a husk of, of Lisa in the shape of Lisa on the couch. I
1: absolutely love that analogy. Lisa, do you feel that? medication that you were given was was that the side effects of the medication or do you feel it was just the overall um feeling from the depression the anxiety or was that a combination do you feel
0: yeah it's a good question so by that point I'd been on antidepressants for nearly 10 years anyway (laughs) Um, so it's kind of hard to remember a baseline I guess um All I can, all I can speak to is my experience, which was that for me, um, some symptoms I think were, or some experiences I was having were like the condition, so to speak. So Mm -hmm. um, my primary PTSD symptom was anger. Um, I was, I was very angry at everyone all the time, mostly at myself. Um, I actually broke Bones in this hand, punching the pantry door once. Uh, kicked a hole in the wall in the bedroom. Very angry, and it was mm. really confronting. I think, particularly as a as a woman, to be dealing with that level of rage and anger. Uh, I think I would have self shamed less if I had been a blubbering mess. Like it was. It, I think that there's culturally, it would have been more appropriate if I'd just been crying all the time. Because that's kind of what chicks do. Yeah. (laughs) So being angry was—I was dealing with a lot of conflicting feelings around that because it was kind of not socially appropriate for for a female to be, you know, so furious. We kind of associate that uh, aggression and all of that with men. Um, So I think the anger is definitely related to the PTSD. For me, when I came off my medications. Some things definitely disappeared, primarily just that rain fog, just complete. Um, so I used to talk about it felt like my brain was full, my head was full of cotton wool, and it was mm. really hard to think through that, um, and I didn't have clarity and I didn't have energy, and it was just everything was just very cloudy and, and muddy um, coming off the medication, when i did that that fog lifted um so in my own experience which is all i can speak to i suspect that that was a result of some of the medications i was on as opposed mm. to the underlying uh conditions, conditions. that i was being yeah. medicated for yeah.
1: yeah and going back to when you said about being a shell of yourself so that is a really hard that's a really hard place for people to be in and then to think about getting themselves out of it, to then take themselves off medication to have the courage to try something different. So can you sort of speak to that? Like, how how did you find that internal strength to be able to do that? Because most people just, you know, and I say that like we were saying, they're too afraid to even change doctors even if it's still within the traditional medical let alone go to someone functional or alternative and yet here you are at that state and you've transitioned to a whole new state can you kind of elaborate on what you had to t- what you had to go through to make that happen
0: right if i knew what got me off the couch i would bottle it and i'd be selling it. <laughs> you'd be a millionaire now <laughs> yeah that's a four million dollar question like and that- I've been asked that on many podcasts before, you know, how how did you get off the couch? Um, And I guess having an understanding now of human behaviour, humans are reasonably simple creatures. We like to think we're very complex, but we're actually kind of simple in that we either move towards something or we move away from something. And that's essentially how our motivation works. So we either move towards something, we're drawn to it, we're like, that looks great, I'm going to go for that. Uh, or we move away from we go, I don't want any of that. I'm moving this <laughs> way. right. And again, it's very yeah. primal, right? We we move, absolutely we keep our distance from fear because we uh, from fire because we know we'll get burnt, right? So it, it's that moving away from motivation. And often what um, people think is that they need to find something that's a moving towards motivation to get started, to to do a thing. I have to know my purpose. I have to set a goal. I have to know where I'm headed. When in my experience and my recommendation would be, if you know what you don't want, just start moving the opposite direction. So for me, I had no idea that I would end up doing coaching training. I had no idea about obviously the years that have followed and all the things that I've done since. No clue. The future right. for me was pitch black. I had no idea. All I knew sitting on that couch and having my, you know, my family kind of rotated around me, you know, my husband made sure the kids had lunch for school and they they had clean uniform and, you know, the world kept uh, moving um, and they would sort of drop in and give me a kiss on the cheek and say goodbye and whatever, but I really wasn't engaged. Yeah. And all I knew was this is not okay. This is not the mother I want to be. Like I said, I, I had a two-year-old at the time and, you know, he would come up and curl up with me on the couch and ask if I was feeling better and I was just like, do you know what? I, when he's 10, I don't want this to be our relationship. Like this is this is not when I fought when I when I advocated with my husband to have a child um this was not the mothering that I envisioned um I was like well this is this is not good enough like this life of sitting on the couch and trying to find something to watch and distract myself from my world and being disconnected from my family all I knew is this this what's happening right now this is not okay yeah. I don't know where I'm going or what I'm going to do or how it's going to pan out, but I don't want any more of this. So I need to yeah. get up and figure out a way to do not this, whatever <laughs> that is. Um, and very often that away from motivation is is the thing that will kickstart somebody's movement, even if they're really not clear on, you know, I didn't, I didn't sit down and write a list of you know, goal. I didn't I didn't get a planner and do my smart goals. There was none of that. I just went, this is shit and I hate it and it's not okay. And my family deserves better and my kids deserve better. And I did it initially for them before I could do it for myself.
1: That's usually the way, isn't it? Especially as a mum. I find
0: especially I could, yeah.
1: I find that I've changed so many things and so many ways of doing things and really have done so much like I did a lot of work on myself before, but really wrapped it up once I had my son because you know they're usually the ones that you look at and you think, what who do I want to be and what do I want to be for them? You know, how do I want to show up? You yeah. know, for them. How do I yeah. want how do I want to show up? So you really start it's I think it starts off as an extrinsic motivation but then you have to build that intrinsic motivation to keep it going what what is that what happened for you
0: yeah I guess that extrinsic kept me going for a long time Yeah, yeah like it was definitely a few years of uh showing up because I was very conscious of the the parent that I was being and the partner that I was being and um caring about those people and wanting them to have a better experience of me, that absolutely was the drive um for, for a good long time, probably until it was pointed out to me that I was doing it for them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then an an awareness, like because that wasn't conscious, right? And then an awareness was brought to me that um you also deserve this all the work yeah. you're doing all the bettering you're doing all the growth and development you're doing and the weekend after weekend and day after day at trainings and you know learning all the things that I was learning and all of that that this this can't just be about them and it's okay for you to want it for yourself as well and Absolutely. that's when I started exploring, what what are those blocks, right? Why is it easier for me to do it for them than it is for me to do it for myself? And what is that about, right? And that's all that mothering slash martyrdom that most of us got modelled to us by our mums, right? Like my mum still puts herself last and everyone else has to have food on the table before she'll come and plate hers up, you know, like that was shown to me as um, how you mother and how you love is by making yourself the lowest priority, and doing everything for everybody else first, um, and so I having that awareness brought to me allowed me to then go on a journey of challenging all of that and working out what do I want to keep from that programming, what's useful, and uh, what can I get rid of? Absolutely, because
1: that is a very that is a very familiar song, isn't it? That's how I was brought up as well. You know, it's a very, and I think you know, like our sort of generation, it was very much still. Um, a strong aspect of that mothering you know it's all for the other um mm. i think it'll be really good to um let people know was it a form of did that for that did that move into sabotage is what i'm trying to say here did that do you feel that that moved into sabotage or do you feel it was just more about people pleasing
0: yeah interesting great question i think there was definitely like I was an excellent and probably still am a very um you know high level people pleaser. I do I do want you know the people around me to to be happy and and all that stuff. I guess my where my line is, where my boundary is of what I'm willing to compromise in myself to achieve that people pleasing outcome has shifted greatly over the few years. Um, and I think yeah, I think to some extent it probably I held myself back um and perhaps my progress may have been uh over a shorter time frame I might have got to where I was going quicker um if I'd sort of gone all in so to speak and well you know you kids can sort out your own lunch I'm just gonna do this for myself um but I wouldn't have it any other way like I don't look back and yeah. think oh I wish I'd done that um because the experiences i've had like everything is is growth and learning right um but yeah i guess if i had just um checked out and taken myself off to a, an ashram in india and you know gone and meditated for 6 yeah. months then maybe maybe the whole process would have been sped up I would have come back you know 2 years earlier than it took me and gone oh i'm 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 where i want to be now um, but everyone's on their own you know, everyone's on their own journey, right? We walk our own path. Absolutely. You only know what you know at the
1: time and we only do what we do from what we've known. So, yeah, I mean, I would have done it very similar to you and I did go through certain things and I did do it very similar to you. So what what sort of um, what did you do, you know, what's some specific things that you can share with the audience that you did that, really propelled you onto that path from getting off the from getting off the sofa to where you are now
0: yeah I um it was all very uh at the time <laughs> at the time I still believed in coincidence which I don't now um but it was all very sort of serendipitous um so what I I sort of talk about um if you imagine, a pond with lily pads on it and I'm the frog and I sort of hop from lily pad to lily pad. And what I find in my life is um, when I'm on my path, so to speak, and I'm, I'm moving in flow and I'm going the direction that I'm, you know, call it whatever you want, the universe, God, whatever, wants me to go or I'm serving my sole purpose or whatever language you want to put around it, what tends to happen is the next lily pad will pop up and I go, oh, well, that's easy. Okay, I'll just pop and I'll do that. And then the next one will pop up and I jump on the next one. And it tends to just sort of flow. When I find myself sitting there going, where do I jump next? Or this is really hard or, you know, obstacles come up or I'm sitting and I'm waiting for someone else to sort of, you know, they'll get back to me and I'm twiddling my thumbs. Often that to me, I interpret that as uh, this is not the path for me, right? So I had a very lily pad to lily pad kind of experience from the couch. Um, I ended up speaking to someone, um, I wanted to, I'd primarily been the um, main breadwinner prior to being diagnosed and not being able to work anymore. Um, and so I was concerned about paying bills and all that sort of stuff. So sure. I um, I got involved with a group um, that was, um, you know, selling some face cream products or whatever. And they were like, this is a great way to make money. And I went, all right. And I went along and very quickly determined that was not the path for me. But what it did was connect me to a group of people that were had entrepreneurial thinking and mm-hmm. a group of people that were of the mindset that if you want something to happen, then you make it happen uh, as opposed to sitting there, you know, waiting for the arrival of, I don't know, Tats Lotto win or, you know, I'll just wait here for magic to come to me. Um, so it was a, a mindset shift now being around a new group of people. Right. Basically three lily pad pop-ups later, yeah. um, I found myself at a um a school, a life coaching school place that did training. Uh, and I went along for a weekend and did two days and thought, oh, okay, well, this is this is interesting. And I've been challenged and okay. And then I went along to the following weekend and was strongly challenged again. <laughs> um because I was, at the time, I was very, uh, what's the word, defensive of my victim status. Um, mm-hmm. I had That's PTSD. I had fibromyalgia. My body was sore all the time. I had gastric issues. And I remember sitting, you know, sitting in the, in the classroom <laughs> with my arms folded, you know. No one's going to help me. <laughs> read the body language. yeah. And uh, you know, I'm angry and I'm tired and I'm sore and my life is hard and I gave all I had to that career and I've been screwed over and you know, these were my narratives. And um and the lady at the front of the room, the trainer, and she said, um, you know, are you happy with your life? And I'm like, no, this sucks. <laughs> and she said, What do you want? What do you want your life to be? I was like, well, I don't want to be angry and I don't want to be tired and I don't want to be in pain anymore and I don't want this and I don't want that. And she sat and she listened and she nodded or she stood there and listened and nodded and okay. And she said this one sentence, she said to me, so I have a very clear idea of what you don't want. What do you want instead? And it was like someone had hit me in the face with a brick because what I realised is that I had not attributed any time, I'd not allocated any time to thinking about what I wanted and what I wanted my life to be and what I wanted things to look like and how I wanted to feel in my body. I was absolutely fixated on what I don't want and as I now understand it, what you fixate on is what you see more of, what you program your brain to give you more of, you to get. Yeah. more of, and you get more of it. So I was getting all the things I didn't want. I'm angry, I'm sore, I'm broke, I'm, you know. Um, yeah. And so that's what life was serving me. And I came to that realisation from her question that I had not at all considered the opposite. Uh, and that was really a turning point for me to start working out what that looked like. What does that look like? How do I want to feel? Oh, my God, what would I like to do for a job? Where would I want to live? Oh, wow, right? Just like a possibility bomb got dropped on me and all I had was options. Oh, wow, the world is a much bigger place than this list of things i don't want that are making me miserable oh that's quite a different perspective um and so from then i basically did every course that this school offered at the time um, so i did my neurolinguistic practitioner training i did neurolinguistic programming master practitioner training i did uh, behavioral what's it called uh, you know human behavior uh, um, qualifications and Everything they had. You <laughs> did. I was like, Tell me <laughs> give it how. give it to me. I'm ready. How to, learning, how to run workshops, how to, yeah, uh hypnosis, like all the things. I was like, great. So I've got a big book of all my certificates because I, I did everything that at the time they had on offer, uh, over about an 18 month period. Um, and it was actually at the end of that 18 months. So by this time it's about November 2015. Uh i was just about to embark on a ten day intensive master practitioner of n l p program mm-hmm. um for anyone that's done this uh you will know it's it it it's um messes with your head is what i'll say i've, so I've actually i've
1: actually done it
0: so i i actually understand yeah so practitioner training in n l p I guess, gives you a structure and a framework and it sort of teaches you the rules in inverted commas and then Master Practitioner smashes that wide open and breaks all the rules. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's very next level. The day before I was due to show up, so we started on the Saturday and Friday uh, prior, <laughs> the day before, um, I had been considering um ceasing my medication so at that point I was on antidepressants and uh, and the pill and some other tablets I don't really remember now but a, a few yes and I'd really weaned them down like I was on one every second day already like I was pretty low dosing you know most of that stuff anyway um just you know FYI coming off antidepressants is absolutely something you want to do slowly and potentially guided by someone, a a doctor, because it can be really tough on your body and your mind. I I would not recommend anybody just cold turkey off these things. So I had already um, whittled it down. Uh, And the day before, the pharmacy where I used to fill my scripts burnt down. Oh, Oh God, of course. So, Rita, I had no choice but to take it as a sign from the universe that
1: so you needed to stop
0: it was you needed to stop It was time to try life without tablets, and like I will only ever ab- advocate that was that was the right decision for me at that time, and I'd been doing a lot of work since then, i I don't you know, like I said, I don't recommend anyone just sort of uh check them in on a whim. It's really got to be a very considered decision. Um, but that was for me. That was like, oh, okay. Well, maybe maybe now's a good time. Um, it's a sign. And then I started my ten days of master practitioner with <laughs> my head was exploded and whoa. um So, for yeah, people I,
1: that don't, for people that don't understand what NLP or master practitioner is, do you want to just give a little synopsis on that? On you know about the the mindset changes that they teach well not necessarily about what they teach but how you did that to change your beliefs to change the way you were thinking to change your 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 headset you know so you could move forward so just a little just a little you know note on what NLP gave you or what it is and what it gave you
0: yeah, yeah, great question. So I've since become an NLP trainer uh, further down the line, so I should be able to answer this quite technically. <laughs> um, look, ultimately for me, my interpretation is that neuro-linguistic programming is a a set of philosophies and techniques or philosophies and processes um, that provide a framework for the way that you look at the world and the way that you interact with the world. That's right. So, um, uh, it, it's it's a tool. I know that there are a lot of people that are fearful of NLP or they're, um, you know, uh, there's some negative feelings towards it or it's got connotations of being manipulative and whatever else. I would say I refer to it as a tool like a hammer. Uh, and I, I think I said this too when we had our chat, right? So, NLP to me is a tool like a hammer. If I hand it to one person. They can, they can build a cubby house for their kids with a hammer. If I give a hammer to another person, they can, you know, knock someone's block off and rob them. Right. But it's not the hammer's fault, right? A hammer is just a hammer. So a tool or a set of tools in neuro-linguistic programming is just that and how it's chosen to be used and applied and all of that stuff that comes down to things like individual integrity and intention um, and stuff like that. So Um, what I found really profound when I did my, my first, uh, practitioner training in NLP. So there's essentially two levels as practitioner and master practitioner. Um, and then you go on and do trainer training and whatnot. Um, what I, I guess was profound for me was that I was very set in my point of view of the world. Like I said, arms folded, here's all the reasons that I'm miserable and I'm justified in my misery. And at the same time, uh, I wish I wasn't, you know, and that's what I was sort of, that's what I came in with was this belief system um, a set of beliefs that was making me miserable. And uh, that NLP training, the first time I did prac, uh, I definitely recommend doing it more than once. Um, Was the first time that anyone had even suggested that your beliefs could be changed, that the way that you view your world is not actually objective? Um, I hear a lot of people talk about reality, right? Well, the reality is, and I'm like, well, reality is a little... You know, more fluid than people like to think. Like we said before, right? We've got our program, we've got our familiar zone, we've got our safety bubble, we've got the way we see the world, and that becomes our reality and our truth, right? This is the way the world works. Everybody, everybody's out for themselves. Money is the root of all evil, right? We've got all these stories. That's right. And that yeah, becomes your truth in your world, and sitting in that room for the first time and having somebody explain up the front, both, I guess, philosophically and somewhat, you know, neuroscientifically, um, NLP being born out of the positive psychology movement in the 1960s. Um, you know, so they talk about how you're, you know, the actual neurology of your neurons firing together and wiring together and how we come to believe what we believe and and those sorts of things. Um, That's the first time anyone had said any of that to me. I'd never read a book about any of that sort of stuff, never heard a podcast, um, never watched a video on YouTube. So it was the first time that I was introduced to the idea that I had choice and that if there were things that I wanted to change in my life, it wasn't about sitting there and waiting for them to change. It was about me changing And then that would create the change that I wanted to see in my life.
1: Um, Exactly. What I find interesting, maybe the listeners will too, is the fact that you recognise that you have anxiety, depression and fibromyalgia and you found a tool that helped you. So that's the key. You were talking before about people who really own something and I've spoken to a lot of people who really own their health condition. They really, it's almost like a badge of honour. They wear it as a badge of honour.
0: Yeah, it becomes their identity. It becomes
1: their identity. So it's once you made that transition and you said, no, I'm going to find a tool to help my mindset, to help me move forward with this, did you find that your health changed? Did you find that maybe your fibromyalgia was impacted positively. Did you find that your depression and anxiety was, it was like hand in hand with your health? So by changing your mindset, changing to go and do something different, letting your subconscious know that I'm more than this, I can do something for myself. Did that have... Did you feel that in your body? Did you feel that change in your body?
0: Yeah, I probably can't speak specifically to the time frame, but mm. I absolutely know somewhere within those 18 months um not only by November 2015 was I medication free post pharmacy burnout.
1: Congratulations. Burn but I
0: was also PTSD symptom free, and what I mean by that is I no longer tick the boxes. So no flashbacks, no nightmares, no um, you know um, hypervigilance, um, all the other things that you you sort of need. there's a lot of categories around it. Um, I no longer tick those boxes. Uh, in terms of my fibromyalgia, uh, Like I said earlier, in my own experience, um my fibro, chronic fatigue, whatever you want to call it, essentially a full-body inflammatory response. Yes. For me, that cleared up, that healed in the same time frame as I healed my mental health. So the... Interesting. The, yeah. Yeah. The equivalence that I then created, my truth became that my fibromyalgia was a physical manifestation of my poor mental health state. And so when I addressed that, when I changed how I was thinking, I changed how I was speaking to myself, I changed the feelings I was feeling on a day to day basis, uh, I changed the language I was using, I changed how I was speaking to other people, I changed how I was speaking to myself through all of that um I was in less pain I stood up taller um I can't remember I may have lost some weight over that period of time there was definitely for me a very strong mind body spirit I was connection. going to say you,
1: that's a real testament to the mind body the mind body spirit isn't it how well, yeah, I, they influence each other. The body can influence the mind, and the mind can influence the body. What's happening in the body, you know, like if you have, you know, digestive issues, if you have um, unfavorable uh, bacteria, you know, all of these can influence our mind, you know, but our mind can definitely switch on and switch off, you know, genes, you know, that are happening in the body, you know, yeah. for a more positive to, result.
0: Yeah, I think to. any for like I said I can only speak on behalf of myself for me any any framework or rule book or um philosophy that creates a separation between mind and body um is is missing part of the picture so I guess that's where coming back to you know health and and the medical model versus uh alternative health streams that was probably part of my issue with the medical model is that the doctors, the you know gastroenterologists, all the specialists, the rheumatologists about my inflammation, everyone that I saw, it was all very siloed. It was all very independent from everything else. And no one ever asked me any questions about how I was feeling or what I think on a day-to-day basis or how do I speak to my body? What is my relationship with my body? Which, you know, uh, was then and, you know, could be better now, but was pretty negative, right? So I had a lot of hate towards my body, right? I hate my body because it hurts. I hate my body because I can't trust it to do what I want. I can't lift my kid up. I can't, you know, and so there was a lot of negativity towards my body but to not appreciate that you that's part of you and you're just having a good old rough crack at yourself right it becomes this self-fulfilling negative negative cycle um so that was part of I think that identified for me you know I saw this specialist I saw that specialist I wasn't getting any better um but to me it made no sense that we weren't looking at me as a whole person in terms of trying that's to get key. well, and that that kind of was like, okay, well, I've grown up in you know medicine and, and paramedicine, and I went to uni and I studied anatomy and physiology, and I have a bachelor's, and you know that's the world I came from. But I, in this healing journey, I recognized that that world couldn't give me the answers I was looking for it couldn't take me to that next level um it ended at diagnosis you know well this is what you've got you've got fibromyalgia tick I'm done I told you what's wrong with you I was like well that's right how do I get better how do I what happens next oh that's it that's what you've got now and it was almost like their focus was on diagnosis rather than healing and so for healing, I had to go elsewhere and look elsewhere for well, how do I How do I not have this? I'd really like to not have that. Um, you know, and I used to say to people, I spent 30, 32 years of my life without PTSD. I spent, you know, two to three years with it. Uh, and then I went back to not having it again. You know, like this is, I didn't, I wasn't born with it. This isn't my natural state. Yes. Um, I I wanted it to be you know a blip rather than oh well this is who you are now um, and so
1: did your fibromyalgia was that a a result of your PTSD was that did that come from that or did you have that before or was that from the stress
0: look I think it's 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 very muddy for me you know it's hard to work out you know when when did that start part of the reason I didn't go down the work cover process was because I was um, under a lot of mental strain and I got presented with a piece of paper from my employer saying, you know, what is the date of injury? Like, when did you start getting sick? That Because that system is designed around a physical injury, like, oh, I hurt my shoulder or, you know. Yeah, work. absolutely. And so I was like, I do. I write my date of employment, like when my first my first uh, you know fatal car accident. Like what do I put as when did this start? I don't know, man. Like it's been you know ten years. Like I don't have a date that it began, right? So, um, for me to sort of look back now, um, I was under the impression, as were a lot of people, that were helping me that my PTSD was a result of my ambulance career.
1: Right, okay.
0: Um, and it was in, because it's not unusual, right? It's not unusual for people in, you know, police, fire, ambulance. You're, you're
1: witnessing a lot of trauma.
0: It's pretty standard to to leave with some sort of, uh, you know, mental strain or struggle. Um, so I thought that's what, you know, had had caused it, so to speak. Um, when I was first diagnosed. And it was only in the unpacking of all of this over the next 18 months to two years uh, that I realised that there were other contributing factors. So, you know, I'm a dual rape survivor. Uh, I've got intergenerational trauma. All four of my grandparents are Holocaust survivors. Uh, You know, there's a lot of stuff leading up to it before I ever put a uniform on um, that was contributing. So... It, it's all it's all very much in the mix and and the physical aspects of that um are just in that kind of jumble so I don't know whether fibromyalgia symptoms started before I was diagnosed with PTSD or you know the other way around I do believe that my physical body um manifests what's going on in my in my head so to speak um there's yeah. definitely a relationship there for me
1: absolutely and the interesting thing, let's go back to when you were in the hospital and well, when you got a diagnosis from the doctor and what did you do like you weren't going to just accept that you had this you want to get back to how you were you want you didn't want fibromyalgia you didn't want ptsd so how did you decide and where did you decide to go like what That's the thing with a lot of people that I think that they're struggling with, that they get a diagnosis and then they're confused. Like, I don't want this diagnosis, but I haven't got much help. You know, I may have all these different diagnoses from different people, but like you say, they're all siloed. And I've been offered medication, which, you know, I don't advocate that people don't do because a lot of times it's life-saving in the beginning. But is it something that you want to stay on long-term? So... What was your path then? How did you go about finding someone and did you find someone that helped you?
0: Uh yeah, it's a good question. I think I was I I remember like, you know, it was 10 years ago. I think I was looking had a mentor fallen in front of me. You know, come into my awareness that there was someone who had been on a similar journey, I probably would have latched onto them. You know, like, how did yes. you do it? Show me all the things.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: I, um, I don't know that I consciously was looking for that. Um, I guess I was lucky in that I just sort of, um, Rita, I feel like most of my life I've just fallen forwards and managed to catch myself. <laughs> <laughs> fallen forward and started running. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just sort of tripped forward and managed to get myself upright and so far so good. Um, yeah, so I think there's sort of just a, you know, it all just kind of worked out. Um, in terms of if people are you know, they've been given a diagnosis that's less than favourable or something that, um, you know, they're not keen on holding on to or they can, as we said, they can accept the diagnosis, they want to explore a different prognosis. Um, I guess what's changed in the last 10 years since I did it was that we have a huge uh, number of things like Facebook groups and there's just a much larger um, body of public information around different options. So there's definitely, um, you know, support groups that you can tap into. There's Facebook groups of people that are going through similar things. Um, I would say um, be be you know put your critical thinking hat on when you are receiving information um that's public so whether it's on Facebook or you've just gone to Dr Google or you know whatever it is um use your critical thinking hat think about where is this information coming from how are they qualified to speak to this um and you know I guess take it all with a grain of salt and filter it through your own assessment of of you know does this ring true for me is this not true for me um and and not take anything it sounds a bit cynical but not just sort of swallow anything whole you know like you just you want to be uh, inquisitive and curious and and investigate that mm. was there um, a
1: particular um holistic practitioner or functional practitioner or anyone like that that helped you manage you know, help you with the pain or to help you resolve or was it more just around I, changing your mindset?
0: Yeah, I've seen so many different. So so haven't many we different all? Therapists <laughs> and specialists and spent thousands and thousands yeah. of testing and, um, you know, and collected more diagnoses, you know, uh, Hashimoto's hypothyroid and hyperparathyroid. And, you know, I've got a big long list of things that I have or I don't have. Um yeah, I think getting getting referrals from people is always good. So speaking to uh, family members or friends um, and if they can refer you in a direction, if they have spoken to uh, a holistic doctor or a functional medicine doctor or um, an integrative health specialist or a nutritionist or a naturopath, like it's always good to um you know, get those referrals or those connections through someone that's had their own positive experience. Um, Absolutely. From that, then, you know, then investigate, then search them, check them, yeah. you know, because your friend or your family member's experience may be the anomaly, right? Maybe there's nine out of ten people that hate that person that you're thinking of going and seeing. So, again, you know, do, do your research, to use a, a terrible phrase, but, you know, to... Be curious, I guess. Um, And I think just a a quick word about Facebook groups. Um, Be conscious, I guess, of how the energy of the group affects you. If you are on a mission to heal, if you want to get better, if you want to not adopt the diagnosis as your identity, whatever it is, Um, just be very mindful and deliberate in the online groups that you spend time in. Um, So I'll give you context for that statement, which is um, when I chose not to be defined by my PTSD, um, essentially... I moved from one identity which was ambulance paramedic, Ambo, and the next available community for me to jump into was Broken Ambo. Uh Broken Ambo, Broken Cop, right? Which mm. was damaged. You're damaged, you got PTSD, you can't work, you have to sit on a pension now. And that community um of of the broken ones uh, they there's people within that that very strongly will fight to keep that identity because yeah. it's the next closest to their previous tribe. And I get it and I understand why. Um, and they were very resistant to my suggestions that you could potentially get out of that and you don't have to be like this anymore. Um, and they were very protective of that. Um, and I used to call some of those um, support groups um misery circles and um often re- refer to it as a race to the bottom and so there were conversations in there about like who had it worse and this is what I've seen and you know well I haven't slept a good night in 15 years <laughs> and I've had nightmares you it's know so and you compare you know their awful experiences as if it was some sort of you know competition for who's having the worst life um and I identified reasonably quickly that that was not they're not my people. Um, that's not my identity. It's not what I want and not what I want to be around and the energy of that. Um, and part of the cha- one of the challenges of healing was that I had to let them go right? These were my former colleagues. These are people that I can speak to on a level that I can't usually speak to people, right? We all tell each other weird stories. I'll tell you, right? cops and nambos and fight. We all tell each other really weird stories. We talk about inappropriate things, (laughs) like stuff over dinner. And if you have anyone that's in emergency services or medicine, you know what I'm talking about? Like we were like, oh, I saw this guy with a rip dot, you know, and just like, it's very normal for us to sort of tell each other war stories. And um things that impolite company and not okay yes and part of me recognizing that i wanted to go a different direction and i didn't want this to be my identity and i wanted to heal uh one of the challenges was letting go of that community that wanted to stay in you know in their misery in their in their identity of brokenness um and and that can be difficult too. That can be a, a bigger hurdle, I think, for people that identify that they they do want to heal rather than sit in it. Um, yeah. And sometimes that makes you feel like you're going out on your own.
1: Because yeah, it is scary for people because to give up something, you have to replace it with something else. And you know you can't just sit in a void. This is that void that they're feeling. So if I have to give up that group that community that tribe whatever language that people like to use and it doesn't sit with me because i need to move forward well then i'm going to have to replace it with something else and it's that replacing with something else that i think stumps people from yeah. moving forward and finding something else for them and creating a new life and creating better health you know it's all those choices that we That's have to really make
0: starting again like it, you know it's a it's a big you know, a lot of the times it feels like an insurmountable, you know, obstacle. Is it you're like, well, not only do I have to heal, but I can't talk to my sister-in-law anymore because she's, you know, like, and there are people that we we sometimes have to distance ourselves from because they're not helping. Um and I think that that takes a lot of takes a lot of strength. It takes um, a lot
1: of courage. It takes a lot of courage.
0: Yeah. I think it's good now that I certainly think that their new tribe, the, you know, the the group of people that are healing or have healed or that's far more accessible than it was 10 years ago.
1: Yes. Yes, it is. It is.
0: So to wrap
1: up today, Lisa, it's been absolutely amazing speaking to you. I'd just love to ask you a question. I usually end a lot of these sessions with the same question. Like, do you have a message of hope for someone? you know, walking in your path, that they can arrive to where you've got to?
0: Yeah. Uh, so um, I think everyone walks their own path. I think there are sections of our paths that overlap and cross over and intersect. Um, and sometimes you can sort of, uh, you know, see someone up ahead you're yes, like, oh, well, they do. I'll follow them for a bit, uh, and then you deviate back on, onto your own path. Um, just trust that you know. I guess be the frog. Keep your eye out for the lily pads that pop up. If it, um, if it feel tr- trust your gut. You know, one of the things that I had challenge with when I had a lot of body based health issues was I really had to rebuild that trust in my body and trusting my gut that things were the right way to go or the wrong way to go. Um, so just learn to to sit with things and you don't always have to make a rush, a snap decision. You know, just really check in with yourself, trust yourself. Um, and um, as long as you keep taking steps then you'll get where you want to go. Sometimes those steps are backward steps. Sometimes they're sideways steps, but this they're, they're all steps. They're, they're all, all steps. They're all mm-hmm. part of it, yeah.
1: Fantastic. Lisa, thank you. It has been such a pleasure. I've loved hearing your journey, and I'm sure everyone else will take some golden nuggets from everything that you've shared today. Thanks nice. so much.
0: I hope so. Thanks for the opportunity, reader. You're it's-
1: welcome. It's been great. I would love to know what was the biggest insight or aha moment you got from this interview so you can now speak up, take action, and make informed decisions for your health. And if you like this episode, get instant access to your free ebook, Alternative Wisdom, Taking Back Control of Your Health at life onus dot com.